We're starting a brand new holiday series next week, but in order for you to prepare for that, I wanted to talk about something that oftentimes, I'll just be quite honest, it's an issue, it's a topic that is avoided in the church. Um, I don't know about you, but if you grew up like me, um, in the church, oftentimes you were taught that your emotions were bad things, right? You, you were taught that if you got angry or you got depressed or you got anxious or whatever, that you had to kind of push those things down, and you especially didn't want to show that to church people, right? Because you wanted to have this facade, like everything was okay, everything was perfect. And can I tell you something? That your emotional health and how you're doing is so important. Because every single human in this room, how many of you get angry? How many of you get depressed, anxious, frustrated, fearful? How many ever wake up out of bed and you look at your husband and you're like, I don't really know if I love you today. Like, you feel those things, right? We all feel them. Then why do we spend our lives constantly not trying to feel those feelings but numb them and avoid them and push them down? I want to argue this morning that you can't be spiritual in a spiritually good place unless you're emotional. Here's what I'll start off with today. The true spiritual life is not an escape from reality, but an absolute commitment to it. Meaning that you have to learn to reconcile with the reality of where you're at right now in this moment. The things that you're dealing with in your heart right now. What would it look like to start to deal with those things? What would it look like to actually run head on and face your fears? And face your worries and face your anxieties and face your emotions, I would argue that the majority of the pain that you feel in your life is because of suppressed emotions. The majority of anxiety and depression that you face is suppressed emotions. Do you know that anger is actually suppressed rage? It's, it's coming from us pushing things down. I shared this last week, but 2018 has been the most difficult year of my life. Most difficult year of my life. Many of you know the journey. My dad's been battling cancer for the last eight years, and this year, I mean, it's taken up a whole new notch. Almost three weeks ago, he was literally, he was on a ventilator. Doctors thought he was going to die. It was a roller coaster of emotions. But here's what I've learned in this year. Walking through some of the deepest, darkest moments of my life, I've learned this, that pain is where self-awareness happens. If you allow yourself to feel those things, you become self-aware of what's actually going on in your heart. The good news about pain is it's always a good indicator of something that is wrong inside of us. It's always like the red light bulb that is blinking, but we never want to deal with it, right? It's like when you get in your car and you see that little light that says change your oil, and you're like, ah, oh, I got another 10 miles, right? And then you find yourself stranded on the side of the road because 10 miles turned into 2,000 miles. That's what pain is. It's this blinking red light. That's what depression is and anxiety and fear and worry and hopelessness. It's this blinking red light in our soul saying, hey, something is going on. And what would it look like if we paused for a moment and said, man, why am I anxious all the time? Why am I fearful all the time? Why am I depressed all the time? What are these things that are triggering me? Pain reminds us of the limits that we have. Pain has the ability to humble us, doesn't it? It reminds us that we're human. It reminds us that we can't constantly run at 120 miles an hour. Young guys, can I, can I tell you this? As somebody who is highly driven and motivated to get things done, I like to move very fast. If you've noticed this, if you've been here for a long time, I've had people say like, Pastor Beck, you don't stand in the same spot longer than five seconds. I was that kid in school that was always beating on my desk and like could never sit still. I like to go fast. Here's what I've learned. When you do that constantly, you suppress everything else that's going on. And here's what happens. Pain becomes like an alien invasion. 
like, oh gosh, another thing? Oh, oh, my, my, I got a phone call and so-and-so's dealing with this and now I gotta deal with this. And here's what we do. Because pain is an interruption to our lives, rather than actually stopping and dealing with the pain, we wanna keep moving fast, don't we? We wanna keep going, so here's what we do. We, we shove it aside. I'm not gonna deal with it, I'll deal with it later. And how many know later turns into never? Later turns into let, never, and later turns into just pushing it down and down. And here's the truth. When you're in pain, you end up searching for spiritual shortcuts. We demand that others take away our pain. So we're looking for this quick fix. How many of you, it would be nice if you just had this quick fix that just dissipated all your problems? Can I tell you something? Emotional health is not a quick fix. When you're walking through deep pain in your life, there is no quick fix. And oftentimes, that's what we do in our culture. We look for, how do I get this done right now? How do I fix this issue tomorrow so that I don't have to be fearful or anxious tomorrow, right? The truth is, there is no quick fix. I shared this in the first service. I know instantly when I have a conversation with people in our church whether they're going to stick around or not. It, the conversation usually goes something like this. It, it's usually like, Pastor, look, I love the church. I love people. I felt welcome. But here's the thing. I'm, I'm just not getting fed here. Or I just don't like the style. Or it, can, I, can I tell you something? Here's the truth. Do you know this? The church was never designed to feed you. The church was never designed to feed you. I gave this example in the first service. If you woke up in the morning and you expected that your entire kitchen would just stock itself, how many of you that would be awesome? You could open the fridge and there's milk and there's meat and there's bacon and there's all the things that you normally buy. You'd be like, yeah, this is awesome. But how many of you know if you don't get in your car, drive to Walmart, buy the groceries, stock the refrigerator, you're not going to eat, right? We have to move to this place of getting emotionally healthy because here's what we have to understand. We have to start feeding ourselves. How many of you know it would look really awkward if you went over to somebody's house and the mom was still spoon-feeding your 18-year-old? Open, baby. <laughs> like, you're like, something is wrong with that. <laughs> right? That's what we look like as Christians. Now, why do we look like this? We look like this because we're emotionally immature. And we're led by our feelings. We're led by how we feel. We only lean into God if we feel like it. We only give God 100% if we felt like it that day. We only dive into saying, okay, I want to learn and I want to grow God if I feel like it. But what would it look like if we started confronting our feelings? Because here's what the church is supposed to do. You're supposed to feed yourself, and the church is just supposed to pour gasoline on that. It's supposed to put that fuel in you. Okay, I have some, I have some tools, and now I'm going to go out and be able to use it. Here's what I've learned, though. This year, pain has the ability to do two things. It can crush you or it can lead you. It can crush you or it can lead you. It can crush you in the state of it just, you push everything down and it puts you in this season of just continual and constant pain. Or you can say, you know what, God? I don't like it. I don't want to go through this, but I'm going to walk through it and I'm going to learn something from that. How many know that's a completely different perspective? Now, all you have to do to experience pain in life is just live. <laughs> That's it. There's not like, so how do I go out and experience pain? Just keep living your life. You'll experience it. And here's the crazy thing about pain. is sometimes you'll feel things that you often never even thought that you could feel. You ever been so deeply hurt you didn't even know that you could feel that deep? You ever gone through something so emotional like you didn't even know that you could feel that? So let me 
explain to you what that looks like. Like your dad gets ill and you get a phone call that changes your life. You, you didn't even know that you could feel those feelings. Or a spouse cheats or a loved one dies and will not be at Christmas this year. Wait, that's like a, that's an unspeakable pain. You weren't ready to feel something like that. Maybe it's abuse. Maybe it's a miscarriage. Maybe you got laid off unexpectedly. Maybe it's a betrayal from a close friend. Maybe it's lies. Maybe it's mistrust. But every person at some point is going to be blindsided by pain. And here's what I've learned about pain this year. There is no way to prepare for it. How many of you would be nice if, like, God would just call you and say, hey, in about two weeks you're going to go through something really difficult. Get yourself ready. That would be awesome, right? It doesn't work like that. So what is the solution? Like, how do we go through pain if we can't prepare for it? The only way to get emotionally healthy, because you cannot prepare for your pain, is to learn to walk through it. It's to learn to embrace it and learn to walk through it from it. See, when you ignore pain, here's what you do. You end up creating a lifestyle of pain rather than going through situational or seasonal pain. See, seasonal pain is this, when you recognize what's going on, sometimes it's out of your control, out of your circumstances, there's nothing that you can do about it. So you lean in and go, God, I don't like this, I don't want this, but I am willing to walk through it and I am willing to learn from it. That's seasonal pain, and eventually you learn something from it. Lifetime pain is this, going, God, this is an invasion to my life. I don't want to experience this. I don't want to walk through this. So you know what? I'm just going to push it down and keep moving. And guess what? You end up creating a lifestyle of pain. Some of you know all the things that you stuff down in there, they don't go away. Maybe you forgot about them for a little while, but they will come up eventually. They will reveal themselves eventually. Now, I have had people tell me more than once, and I've had people tell my dad this multiple times, but I had one man walk up here, um, it was actually at the Jennings campus, he came and he said, you know what, the reason your dad has cancer right now is because there's some sin in his life. I want to be like, God, <laughs> I turned away for a moment, let me just knock this dude out. Because here's what you see scripturally. Remember the story of Job? No sin. God actually called Job, a, he was the only blameless man on the face of the earth. Actually, Job was like the Steve Jobs of our age. He was the Elon Musk of our age. He, he was the Bill Gates of our age. He was extremely wealthy. But not only was he wealthy, it said he feared the Lord, that he loved the Lord passionately. And that God was in love with him. And then I want you to get this. This word is important. Then suddenly, his entire life changed. It wasn't because of his choices. It wasn't because of, you know that we believe this, especially in American culture, that everything is cause and everything is effect. That's just not true. Sometimes things happen because they happen. It says suddenly, all of a sudden, Job goes from riches to poverty. Now, that would be difficult, but I think I could handle that part. So they go, okay, we're going we're gonna to build back up. I'm just going to go get a job and I can build my life. But then it says, after he loses everything, there's a natural disaster that comes through the land, kills everything. In, in one day, all ten children are dead. Then his wife says, this sucks, this is painful. I don't think I can stick by you anymore. I'm out. Ten children dead. All of his wealth gone. Now his wife is gone. His friends come to his aid. His friends betray him, and they leave him. And now Job is all alone. How many of you know 
That's the low point of life. Now, here's what's the amazing part about this passage. And I think that we don't talk about this often. Suddenly, Job's life changes. He has every single reason to be angry at God. Every reason. His kids are gone. His wife is gone. His friends are gone. The entire lifestyle that he's built up his entire life to build is all gone. And the scripture says this. What does he do? Does he curse God? No, he worships God. I remember reading this and I'm like, wait, hold on. Okay, Job was innocent. There was no connection between his sin and the amount of pain he experienced. How could Job worship after such injustice? How many of you know we all have this internal lawyer inside of us <laughs> creating a defense as to why we should be mad at God and other people? Like if Job had a reason to be mad at God, I'm, sure, I'm pretty sure he had a pretty good case to build, right? only reason, the only reason that Job could worship is because he was emotionally healthy and aware of what he needed to do to get out of this. So he worshiped, watch this, because he understood that worship elevates your mind above your pain. Worship, and I'm not talking about just singing songs and lifting your hands. I'm talking about even when you don't feel like it. Waking up in the morning, even when you feel like God is not good and you say, God, you know what? I don't feel it, but I'm going to trust and I'm going to believe that you're good today. I know my circumstances don't look like it. I know my life doesn't feel like it, but I'm trusting and believing in the promises of God. That your word says that you'll never leave me, that you'll never forsake me. It says that you'll carry my burdens. I'm going to trust on those promises. That's what true worship is. So worship elevates your mind above your pain. Worship is the 30,000-foot view. Pain is the eye-level view. So watch this. 30,000-foot is where God is. How many know God sees the full picture? He sees the entire timeline of your life. But how many know when you're in pain, all you can see is tunnel vision? All you see is what you're feeling right now, right? Like, God, I, where are you? I don't know if you see what's going on down here, but it's pretty bad. God's sitting at 30,000 feet going, oh, son, daughter, if you could only walk through this, you have no idea what I have waiting for you. Because God sees the entire picture. He sees the entire timeline of like, hey, I'm allowing you to go through some of these things because for you to get to the next season in life, you have to walk through this. The character of a man is tested when you go through the deepest pain. The character of a woman is tested when you go through the deepest pain. When you go through betrayal, when you go through the trust, when you go through says a lot about where you're at in your walk with Jesus. See, when you choose to worship in the midst of your pain, it shows that you're willing to confront your emotions. It shows that even in my anger, God, I'm going to worship you. Even in my frustration, God, I'm still going to surrender to you. And here's what you end up doing. You literally proclaim 2 Corinthians over your life. When you worship above your pain, it says that we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So here's what we're doing. God, I know I feel this way, but I'm choosing to trust the promises of your word that God, when I come to you, it says that you're going to take every thought and it's going to submit to your will. See, worship causes you to take ground in the middle of your pain. Complaining causes you to lose perspective and you quit. When you complain in the midst of your pain, you will quit. You will give up. 
Because let's just be honest, it's easier, right? It's easier to just go, God, I'm done. Throw out a towel, check out, call me quits. I'm out. But here's the truth. True worship will never happen until you have self-awareness about where your life is really at and what your heart is really going to. And the thing is, is you don't get self-awareness until you walk through genuine pain. So God's mechanism of developing character and growth in your life and causing us to grow up emotionally is pain. The gospel is actually spread to all four corners of the earth simply because of pain. The disciples are being scattered all from the earth because people are trying to kill them for spreading this message. So they begin to spread the message of Jesus. So the big question today is, how do we walk through pain well enough so that we can become self-aware, so that we can become emotionally healthy? I want to give us four things this morning. Number one. We must mature from our defense mechanisms. We all have them. How many of you show up at you like, I love when people confront me and call me out? Nobody likes that. Because if somebody looks at us and says, hey, listen, man, the way that you treated your girlfriend or the way that you talked to your wife, man, that was uncalled for. What were you thinking? I've never seen anybody just go, you know what? Thank you so much for calling me out. <laughs> now, it's like you're thinking in your head of like, let me come up with a defense defend myself, right? This happens all the time in marriage. When your husband or your wife calls you out on something, you're not like, thank you, babe, for making me feel like crap. You know? Like, <laughs> we have this internal lawyer that is constantly telling us, no matter what somebody else is telling us, why we're right. Can I tell you something? If you're always right in an argument, you're always wrong. You need to get that. If you feel like you're always right in an argument, the loudest voice that you're listening to is not the person you're arguing with, but yourself. That's a dangerous place to be at because now you believe everything that you believe about yourself. <laughs> and people are trying to help you and point something out and say there's something wrong, you're selfish. You're like, I'm not selfish. Yes, you are. So how do we mature against our, our defense mechanisms? We have to start moving away from denial and start embracing reality for a you know that can be a difficult place. It's a difficult place to say, you know what, I'm weak right now. I don't feel like God's with me right now. Or I feel like this relationship is broken and I don't know what to do. There's no shame in admitting where you're at. Because here's the truth. When you start telling the truth, you genuinely believe what John 8.32 says. You all know this. You will know the truth and what? The truth will set you free. Listen, you will never be free constantly pretending to be somebody that you're not. You'll never be free. The only way that you're experiencing freedom is to say, this is my heart. This is my life. These are the emotions that I'm processing. This is what I'm feeling. And that is how freedom comes. And if you don't do that, here's what sets in. Shame. And it's like this black cloud that hovers over you. You can't tell the truth because they'll think differently about you. Or you can't tell the truth because they'll friend you. You can't tell the truth. And so we get into this spiral of trying to become people that we're not. We end up feeling emotions that we were never designed to feel. So how do we mature from our defense mechanisms? I want to give you a few things really quickly. Number one, you got to stop denying reality. This is when we refuse to accept a painful part about who we are. So let me give you an example. We say things like, 
It doesn't bother me that I got fired. I'm fine. We say things like, oh, it doesn't bother me that my husband left me because he's missing out on all this, <laughs> right? Can we be just be honest? You're not okay. You're not okay. You are emotionally drained and you need help. We have to start lying. We have to stop lying to ourselves and lying to other people. Stop denying reality. The most emotionally healthy people can come to a place and go, you know what? This is the state of my heart and this is where I'm at. And you know why they can confidently proclaim that? Because they've genuinely gotten to a place where they don't care what other people think and they're confident in what God says about them. You can say all the things you want. You can say I'm a mess. Maybe I am. But God loves me. God knows me. And God's for me. And you stand in that confidence. The second thing, stop minimizing. Stop minimizing. So this is where we admit something is wrong, but in a way that seems less serious. Right? So we're like, okay, i got to ease some of the guilt and shame in my life, so I'm going to confess something. So we, think, so we say things like, yeah, I'm just having a little bit of wine to fall asleep. When in reality, you're drinking excessively. You're not showing up to work on time. You're, not, you're avoiding going home, and you're not sleeping. So we start minimizing the issues, right? We also have to stop blaming others. This is where we deny all responsibility for our behavior. This is where we say things like, yeah, I know I got fired, but my boss is a jerk. That's why I got fired. No, we gotta, we got to embrace the reality of you were lazy and you were a poor employee. And that's difficult, right? Because does anybody just love admitting their weaknesses? Like you find great joy from it? Nobody does. Nobody likes saying, you know what, I blew it. I messed up. And then you have to move to a place where you stop blaming yourself. Stop blaming yourself. This is a big one. I see it happen in the church all the time. Stop blaming yourself, meaning this. We inwardly take on the fault of other people's problems. So we say things like, well, you know what? If I wouldn't have got involved in the middle of my parents' relationship and, and tried to help them sort things out, they'd probably still be married. It's my fault. Can I tell you something? The reason your parents got divorced is because of their issues, and it's their fault. It's their fault. They're human beings just like we are. They screw things up too. And, and sometimes what we do is we end up taking on other people's faults, and we say, that's my fault. Then we have to move to a place where we stop rationalizing. This is where we offer excuses to provide an inaccurate explanation of what is going on. <laughs> so, so we say things like... Um, well, did you know that I have a genetic disposition toward anger? That's why I'm angry all the time. Like my dad, he was angry. His grandfather was angry. So I'm just angry. So what you're telling me is that God can't fix your anger. We make excuses for it. We rationalize it. Well, the only reason that I'm angry is just because it runs in the family, right? We've got to stop intellectualizing things. This is where we give theories to avoid personal awareness and difficult feelings. We give theories as to why we're angry. Well, maybe I'm angry because, you know, all humans have this disposition towards anger, and mine just comes up and it flares up a little bit. No, you're angry because you have suppressed rage. <laughs> we like to talk ourselves out of the situation. Oh, it's not that bad. We like to use our mind to make it sound like it's a whole lot better than it is, when in reality we have to come face to face 
with where we're at. The last one, and we've built a culture around this one. You have to stop distracting. This is when somebody confronts us with something, we change the subject or we engage in humor to avoid threatening topics. You ever know anybody like that? You try to get serious with them and it seems like they're always joking. They're always adding in humor. They're adding in humor because they don't know what to do. They don't know how to have a deep conversation, so they just know how to joke. So they'll say things like, man, why are you always so negative? Why do you always have to bring up things? When the other person is not being negative, they're just trying to bring up the reality of going, hey, we need to talk through this. We need to deal with this issue. Emotionally healthy people deal with the here and now. They look at the state of their heart and they say, you know what? I know you don't like it. Listen, I'm, I don't like it either. I'm working on some things. God is changing me, but I know I need to deal with this stuff. So point number two, start paying attention to what triggers your emotions. What makes you angry? What makes you anxious? What makes you depressed? What makes you frustrated? It's sad, but in the church, we have little theology for anger, sadness, waiting, and depression. <coughs> we chalk it up to these spiritual things of, well, you just need to read your Bible more. You just need to pray more. And the truth is, we need to learn to start processing our emotions. <laughs> You're feeling something for a reason, and God actually has a remedy for that. And the remedy is not just go read two Bible verses and it fixes you. And I'm not, I'm not trying to play down on that. The, the scriptures are incredibly helpful. But listen, you feel things for a reason. So, so let me give you an example. Somebody will ask you, how are you, after you experience great loss and grief? And without even thinking, you say things like, couldn't be better. Or you say things like, you over-spiritualize it, where we say things like, well, you know, I know that God's working all things out for good. I just can't see it yet. I'm going to tell you one of the most healthy things that you can do is to learn to process your emotions and not pretend like everything is okay. Actually, scripture teaches us this. If you go back and you revisit the life of Job, here's what's crazy. Scripture tells us they never sinned, but he did know how to process his emotions. Scripture tells us that Job, on the other hand, he screamed out his pain, holding nothing back. Scripture actually teaches us that he cursed the day he was born. Listen, listen to Job's words in Job 3. This is Job processing his emotions with his friends and God. May the day of my birth perish, and the night it was said, a boy is born. That day may it turn to darkness. If only my anguish could be weighed and all my misery were placed on the scales, it would surely outweigh the sand of the sea. The arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks in their poison. God's terror are marshaled against me. That's just Job saying, God, here's my cards. I'm laying them all on the table. This is how I feel. This is where I'm at. Emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. It is not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. You can't do it. You can't do it. You will never learn how to love people, how God has called us to love people, until you can grasp your own emotions. Because if you only love people when you feel like it, if you only give 100% when you feel like it, you're never really going to experience everything that God has for you. If our relationship with Jesus is based on how we feel in the moment, it's never going to take off to the place that, we, that it ought to. 
We have to learn to move past those things, and the only way that we move past those things is to start dealing with them. We're going to take a deep look inside of our hearts and go, why am I angry? Why am I depressed? Why am I anxious? Why am I fearful? Listen, and you say, well, Zach, where do we learn that in Scripture? I've actually had people leave this church because they feel like we... I've had, I had a man a few years ago tell me, he's like, you know what, Pastor, you know, I just, I don't like all this psychology stuff. I'm just here, I want to hear the scriptures, I want to hear the word, just teach me that. That's all I want to hear. And my response was, have you ever read the Psalms? Have you ever read the Psalms? The Psalms is David and every psalmist explaining every emotion and how they feel. And the scriptures even teach us, renew our mind if we want to be closer to how do you renew your mind if you can't get control of your emotions? You can't. You can't. The Psalms are incredibly important because two-thirds of the Psalms are lamenting and people screaming out to God with how they feel. There's something about confronting your pain that releases God's grace over your life. There's something about just saying, this is where I'm at. There's something so honest about that moment that says, you know what, I can, God says, I can work in that. I can do something with that because they're willing to be honest and open. Freedom does not come from stuffing your emotions. It comes from confronting them. Can I just be real candid with you in the spirit of honesty? <laughs> this year, one of my prayers to God was, God, if you would let me go, I'll walk away right now. You know what the craziness in all of that is? Is he wouldn't let me go. Because the truth is, when you walk through deep pain, can I tell you something? The greatest thing that you want to do is you want to run away, don't you? It gets uncomfortable. It doesn't feel good. You've got to start confronting things that you've never confronted in your life. You've got to feel things. You've got to walk through things. And there was times where I'm just like, God, I'm, I'm, it. I'm done. I'm, what do you, I'll just walk away from the whole thing. And it's like God just has this grip on me and says, no, Zach, I'm not letting you go something powerful in that when you realize when you're committed to walk through the pain, you're committed to walk through the process, God promises to be with you. Psalms 32 teaches us that God has been nearest to those who are brokenhearted. So here's what's crazy. When you're actually going through the darkest times of your life, God is saying, I'm the closest to you. I'm the nearest to you. You just got to learn that I'm right there. And sometimes the reason that you don't know that is because we don't have a grasp on emotions. We don't know what we're feeling third thing to get emotionally healthy number three we have to learn to wait in the confusing ending i hate waiting <laughs> hate waiting i hate waiting especially when i'm in pain i hate waiting especially when i need answers <laughs> you ever prayed that prayer my god i need answers now now right now god here's what i've come to learn the most mature people spiritually know that there is something being built in the waiting. The truth is, oftentimes we want God to answer us now. We don't like to wait. We say things to God like, God, don't you know how I feel? Don't you know what I'm walking through? What are you waiting on? Why are you taking so long? Have you left me? Have you abandoned me? But because God is so gracious, he says, there's something in you, listen to me, that has to come out. How many of you know pain has the ability to do that? 
It is the process in which God grows us up into mature Christians. We're no longer waiting on other people to spoon feed us and feed us so we can get to a place and go, you know what? Even when I don't believe it, God, I know you're good. I know you're gracious. One of the most profound things God showed me this year through pain and waiting was this Psalm 37. It says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. That sucks. It just does. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Why? Like, God, I don't want to wait. There is something in the waiting that God is doing. And here's the question that I want to pose to you this morning. Is your God big enough to walk with you through the waiting, the grief, the suffering, and the pain? And if he is not, then your God is too small. Is your God big enough to lean in to the pain? I would argue that he is. That he's big enough to wait with you. He's big enough to cry with you. He's big enough to walk through it with you. See, the word wait is actually mentioned 106 times in Scripture. A little more depending on what version you're reading. One of the main themes of Scripture is waiting. Children of Israel, 40 years, waiting. Joseph, God prophesies to him in a dream that one day he'll be the ruler over Egypt. He gets prideful at 18 years old and goes tells all his brothers that one day he will bow down to me. 22 years later... as he confessed the dream to his brothers, what happens? He gets sold off into slavery. They throw him into a pit. Then he gets, he's serving in Potiphar's house. He gets wrongfully accused of sleeping with Potiphar's wife, which he never did. She came on to him. Then he gets thrown in prison. 22 years later, watch this, in one day, everything changed. He interprets a dream and Pharaoh says, today you're going to be second in command of all of Egypt. So 22 years in slavery, and in one day, in an instant, suddenly, he's second command in Egypt. How can he go from being in slavery, being in prison, to being second in command? I'll tell you why. Because he went through pain, and through that pain, there was one thing that was being developed to keep him in that position. Character. Because God told him, hey, when, whenever Potiphar's wife sleeping with her, he said, don't defend yourself. I'd be like, God, I, I don't know. <laughs> There's a lot of consequences if I don't defend myself. God says, don't defend yourself. How many of that would be hard? That would be extremely hard. What was God doing? He was creating character in him because Joseph understood, Moses understood that in the waiting, God is working. In the waiting, God is working. leads me to point number four, and I'll bring it to a close. Emotionally healthy people understand one thing. You have to learn to climb the ladder of humility. How many of you know it's hard to be a humble person? It's hard. And some of you would say, well, like, well, I am humble. Well, as soon as you say that, you're not humble, right? It's hard to be humble. Emotionally healthy people are humble. But I would argue the most humble people in the world have been greatly broken. The only way to be truly humble is to be truly broken. Because when you've walked through some stuff, when you've walked through some pain, when you hear
hear people boasting about their goodness and how good they are and how gifted they are and all the things that they can do, you just sit back and you go, I was there. I told everybody how good I was and all the things that I could do. And then God broke you. And then you get to a place and you go, I'm just, I'm just so thankful that God loves me. I'm just so thankful that God continues to be with me. God continues to carry me. Is it possible the most humble people on the planet have been the most broken? Their pain revealed their need and God met them. Really quickly, how do we know if we're humble? A few hundred years ago, St. Benedict created this little ladder. I think it's very helpful for us this morning. He created this ladder and it shows us scripturally what humble people look like. So here's how we know. Number one, humble people have a fear of God and mindfulness of Him. Meaning that it starts with, I can't, this is what the fear of God means. I can't do this life on my own. I need help. How many of you know that's one of the most humbling questions you can ask sometimes? Help me. I don't understand. But do you know that that means a whole lot more than just lying to people and say, yeah, yeah, I know the answer to that, when you really don't? So you just say, hey, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll get right back to you. I don't know the answer to that. Number two, doing God's will and not our own or other people's expectations. We say this here all the time, but it's crazy how many people are actually living somebody else's life. It's not the life you want to live, but it's the life that everybody else is expecting you to live. The life that your parents want you to live. We see this especially in southwest Louisiana. Well, my dad had this land, his grandfather had this land, and I guess I have to live on this land too. No, you don't. You don't. God tells us in Genesis that it says when one man and one woman get married, they create their own entity and they separate. They leave. So it's us to a place of I'm doing what God has called me to do regardless of other people's expectations. Number three, we willingly subject ourselves to the direction of others for a season. So it's this humility that comes when you first start walking with Jesus Maybe we're walking with Jesus, listen, for a year, and you're like, man, I know all this stuff. I've been reading all these books, and I've been absorbing all this stuff. You are still very new in what you're learning, and I'll tell you why. You may have a lot of knowledge, but you don't have a lot of experience. You don't have a lot of experience of walking through the dark days of feeling like God's abandoned you and left you. You haven't been broken yet. Therefore, you don't really know what it like, looks like to walk through this journey. So here's what you have to humbly do. You have to find people that have. And you say, man, what do I do in this season? What did you do when you walked through that season? Number four, we're patient to accept the difficulty of others. How many of you ever had those people that just drive you crazy? Maybe you work with them. Maybe you're sitting next to one. Elbow them. Don't do that. <laughs> but listen, we, we're patient with other people. Humble people are patient with other people. Why? they realize how patient God is with them. Number five, I love how he uses this word. We have radical honesty to others about our weaknesses and our faults. Not just like partial honesty, but radical honesty. Here's where I'm at. These are all my cards on the table. This is what I'm walking through. 
Number six. He takes this from Paul in the scriptures that we are deeply aware that we are the chief of all sinners. I love what Paul says. He says, I'm not only a sinner, but I am like, I am the chief of all sinners. How many of you know on your own you are capable of doing some pretty stupid stuff? Every stupid decision that I've ever made in my life was because I thought that I knew what I was doing. <laughs> when you come to this realization of, God, I am helpless without you, here's what you do. You move to point number seven. Speak less. Because here's what humble people understand. Here's what emotionally healthy people understand. I'm going to learn a whole lot more if I just shut up and listen. And then you move to point eight transformed into the love of God. We've walked through this whole process. So here's what I just want to leave you with this morning. Could it be that your emotions and your pain are actually trying to tell you something? And don't treat it as this alien invasion that has come to interrupt your life. No, I just want to suppress that. I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to talk about my dad's death. I don't want to talk about my friend. I don't want to talk about my divorce. I don't want to talk about the betrayal. I don't want to talk about the lies. I don't want to talk about the mistrust. Can I tell you something? You're creating a lifestyle of pain. And if you never do that, here's what you create. An emotionally unhealthy person. And eventually you get to the place, you're so tired, you don't want to connect with Jesus anymore. Because emotions are powerful. And if you suppress them, the emotion of being overwhelmed will overtake you. Because then you go, God, I don't, I'm ignored. Start, I've suppressed all these things. Which one do I deal with? <laughs> God said, let's just take it one at a time. Let's just start. Here's the beauty about following Jesus. Today, you can make a commitment to say, God, you know what? Today, I'm following you with everything. You've just never made that commitment. Or for some of you, maybe it's a recommitment. But here's the beauty of it. You can start wherever you're at. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to have it all figured out. I'll be the first one to tell you, I don't have it all together. I don't have this life all figured out. Just because I'm standing up here preaching a message to you doesn't mean that I have done every single piece of this. It's still a work in progress. I'm still living it out. I'm still figuring it out. If I had to take a bed, I'm sure you are too. And that's the beauty of it. None of us have all of this figured out. That's why we submit ourselves to the process and go, God, I'm willing to walk through the pain so that you can grow me up, so that I can mature, so that I can get emotionally healthy. Because at the end of the day, you'll never be able to love your spouse. You'll never be able to love your friends. You'll never be able to love your coworkers until you learn how to love yourself. And that starts with diving into all those things.